Well, um, I think all of us would agree and all of us know that technology has changed our world and our lives forever. And uh, while our phones may be smart, the question is, do they make us smarter by using them? Uh, and the answer to that is debatable based on that video we just saw. But, but here's one fact that is not. Our use of technology has impacted all of us in terms of memory. You guys realize that, that we now have more information accessible to us in these little two-by-four-inch, five-ounce phones than most ex- the most extensive libraries in the world had just 50 years ago. I mean, that's an amazing reality. And so, you know, you've got to wonder, uh, with iPhones and iPads and, and computers and Google and GPS, you know, what's the point of remembering anything anymore? A study done uh, back in 2007 by a neuro- neuropsychologist at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, found that one-third of Brits under the age of 30 can't remember their own phone number without pulling it up on their handset. The same study found 30% of adults can't remember the birthdays of more than three immediate family members. Now, I don't know how Americans stack up to those kind of surveys or statistics, but um, for me, man, I, I, I don't really care so much that we can't, or maybe more accurately, we don't remember phone numbers and birthdays anymore. But I am interested in how our technological dependency affects our minds and our souls. Back in March of this year, The lead article in Wired Magazine, I don't know if any of you read it, sort of a techie magazine, it tracks cultural trends and those kind of things. Well, the lead article in March, the March issue was about the development of a pill that can help erase memories. And while I find that fascinating and uh, the implications of that intriguing, frankly, I'd rather hear about a pill that I could take to help me increase my memory because I can't recall where I put my house keys half the time. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Well, a guy named Josh Four is a guy who had a very similar problem, average memory, lost his car keys all the time. But he has written a New York Times bestseller entitled Moonwalking with Einstein. Anybody read it? Moonwalking with Einstein, it chronicles his amazing story. As a freelance journalist back in 2005, he was looking to write an article of interest for a magazine and decided to cover the USA Memory Championships in New York City. And so he went and he was just in awe of these competitors who were able to memorize vast amounts of information very, very quickly and then nearly flawlessly, you know, recall all of it. And so he considered them, he he was in awe, he considered them just brilliant savants, you know, geniuses. But when he started interviewing them uh, for the article, they all insisted they were not geniuses. Uh, In fact, one of the champions told Four that anybody could do this. He said, look, anybody can do this. The brain is like a muscle. It just needs to be exercised. And he told Joshua, he said, look, if you spend time with me, I'll prove it to you. And so Joshua uh, Joshua Four took the challenge. Twelve months later, went back to the U.S. championships and won. And then he went on to, I think he took 10th in the World Memory Championships. So it's it's, it's just a crazy story. The phrase moonwalking with Einstein is simply a a mnemonic device that Joshua used uh, to retain information. And in a chapter entitled The End of Remembering, uh, Four writes this. He says, once upon a time, there was nothing to do with thoughts except remember them. There was no alphabet to transcribe them in, no paper to set them down upon. Anything that had to be preserved had to be preserved in memory. Any story that would be retold, any idea that would be transmitted, any piece of information that that would be conveyed first had to be remembered. Today it seems we remember very little. 
When I wake up, the first thing I do is check my day planner, which, remember, uh, which remembers my schedule so I don't have to. When I climb into my car, I enter the, my destination into a GPS device whose spatial memory supplants my own. When I sit, at, when I sit down to work, I hit the play button on, on a digital uh, voice recorder or open a notebook that holds the contents of my interviews. Uh, I have photographs that store the images I want to remember, books to store knowledge, and now... Thanks to Google, I rarely have to remember anything other than the right set of search terms to access humankind's collective memory. These technologies of storing information outside our minds have helped make our modern world possible, but they've also changed how we think and use our brains. Joshua 4 is right. And his book isn't just about his experience, but it's also about the importance of using our minds and sharpening our memories. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, this is interesting and everything, but what does it do, have to do with me? What does it have to do with us in this room? Well, here's the connection, at least for me. It seems to me that as human beings and as those men, women, and students who call ourselves Christians, that we share in this tendency uh, to, to move through life forgetting. And not just our car keys uh, and appointments, but, but forgetting the one who has created us. Forgetting the one who loves us, who has poured out his grace upon us and and rescued us. The one who, because he wants what is right and good and healthy and best for us, has provided wise instructions on on how to live and how to love and how to save her life and celebrate beauty and cultivate community and and, and understand and interpret the complexities of our world. And in the busyness of our every day, we forget God. And that's been humanity's problem, you know, for a long, long time. I mean, from the earliest days even of God's people, the Israelites, they had a memory problem. For example, even after God freed them from slavery in Egypt, the people quickly forgot. And uh, which is why early in their history as a nation, God said to them, he said, don't forget what has happened here. So multiple times throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God says to the people, he says uh, uh, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he says, remember you were slaves and I rescued you, so observe a Sabbath rest and don't forget me. In chapter 15, he says, remember you were slaves and I rescued you, so free others and treat them generously. In chapter 16, remember you were slaves and I rescued you, so be joyful, throw a party, have a festival and bring a generous offering of thanksgiving to me, your God. Chapter 24, remember you were slaves and I rescued you, so treat foreigners, orphans, and widows fairly. Again in chapter 24, remember you were slaves and I rescued you, so now when you harvest and you experience success in life, he says share with each other and especially with those less fortunate and in need. So here's my, here's my Reiki summary. God says to his people again and again and again, remember. Remember my goodness. Remember my love, remember my grace, remember my rescue, because when you do, it will impact the way you live. You know, I found uh, Joshua Four's book very helpful uh, in that it explains, you know, how the brain works and all the chemistry that's involved in in memory, and it offers memory techniques that enhance what Four refers to as the art of remembering information. But what about the art of remembering God? How do we do that as God's people? And, you know, I'm no New York Times best-selling author, so you're kind of just stuck with me. But, you know, for what it's worth, uh, based on my own experience and, more importantly, based on the wisdom of Scripture, the art of remembering God and all that he's done for us is found in doing a number of things. First, it's found in the retelling of stories. 
You know, in many ways, we in the church have lost the idea of spiritual markers, annual events that force us to remember all that God has done for us. I mean, sure, we have, we have, um, we have Christmas celebrating Jesus' birth, but it, you know, it's been so commercialized, in some ways it's lost its punch. And we have Easter, which I think remains relatively intact in terms of you know, reminding us of how God rescues us through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. But to a great extent, that's, you know, that's it for many of us. Two events which we retell, through which we retell the story of what God has done. But the Israelites, they had seven big-time holiday blowouts, festivals throughout the year, and, and a few minor ones in between, which were all intended to retell the stories of God's love, His sovereignty, His power, His grace, and His rescue. Uh, Passover, for example, is one we're probably most familiar with. It's the it's the festival that retells the story of God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt and how the angel of death came upon the nation of, of, of Egypt. Uh, but it passed over all those who sacrificed uh, an unblemished lamb and sprinkled its blood on the doorposts, door frames of their homes. The celebration of, of Passover culminates with what's called the Seder. Seder is just a word for meal. It means meal. And the meal and the table on which it's served, all the elements... All the elements symbolize some part of the story of God's redemption. And it was during the Passover meal that Jesus took the, uh, the matzah, the unleavened bread, and he took the cup of wine, which was known as the cup of redemption. And he said to his followers, he said, from this point on, this bread and this wine are to remind you of me, the true sacrificial lamb through whom ultimate freedom and eternal life come to all who believe, to all people. In other words, communion retells the story of, of redemption. Jesus' sacrifice for sin and reminds us of God's love, grace, and rescue. Jesus said, take and what? Take and remember me. But the retelling of that story isn't, isn't limited to just sharing communion here together uh, on Sundays. In fact, the word, the, the word and the idea of gospel, the go, word gospel really means good news. The idea of the gospel or the good news is about us sharing with others how God has, has rescued us and how his love and his grace has impacted our lives and how salvation is, is about grace. It's not about works. That's what makes the news so good. It's about how God offers this grace to everyone and anyone who believes and follows Jesus. In fact, I think we do a pretty good job sharing communion here every month. It's not like we throw a big festival like, like the Jewish people, but we, we celebrate communion every month. But here's the deal. We want to do a better job at helping you and helping all of us and getting all of us to retell our stories of how God has made a difference in our lives. Because when we share our experience, it reminds us of God and what he's done for us, while at the same time, it inspires everybody else who's listening. And so the t retelling of stories is important in the art of remembering God. So is uh, revisiting God's commands. You know, throughout the scriptures, God has revealed to us wisdom on how to, you know, as human beings, live right, good, safe, healthy lives. And so it's really important for us to understand, you know, God doesn't tell us not to lie just to see how many of us are going to do it anyway. He tells us not to lie because deceit destroys relationships on every level. God tells us not to steal because stealing betrays trust and it breaks down community. God, God tells us not to commit adultery because it devastates families. And the family is the foundation of human culture. 
God tells us not to be greedy because, as Jesus put it, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Life isn't about how much stuff you get. Money and stuff will not make you happy. And and if you realize at the end of your life, that's a sad thing. It's just going to leave you empty. God tells us not to kill because, well, I mean, do I really need to explain that one? I mean, you know, that one's pretty self-explained. Life is precious to God. So you see how honesty and loyalty and faithfulness and generosity and valuing life makes sense to the whole human experience? It does. It makes sense. God tells us what is right and what is good and what is healthy and what is true so that we can have the best that life has to offer. This is why God gave uh, commandments to the nation of Israel after bringing them out of captivity because they had never lived as a free people before. And so God provided this wise instruction on how to, how to be in healthy community. Moses realized that. And that's why he said to the people, he said, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Walk in obedience so you may live and you may prosper and prolong your days. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Translation, love God. Revisit his commands as much and as often as possible. Because you cannot obey what you do not know. You can't apply wisdom you do not possess. Moses says, revisit these things with one another. Teach them to your kids. Talk about them with your family. Discuss them with your friends. Do it at night. Do it in the morning. Do it in large groups. Do it in small groups. Do it every day as you walk through life. You see, revisiting the teachings of Scripture helps us remember God and that He loves us and that He wants wants what's best for us. And He's told us the truth on how to experience those things. And this is why the Apostle Peter, when he writes the early church, he writes to Christians, and he says, look, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, and he's talking about his death, he says, after my death, you will always be able to remember these things. You know what? I'm with Peter on this one. And I make this commitment. That as long as I'm alive, breathing, and kicking, as long as I'm here, I am going to remind you, and I'm going to get us to remind each other of both God and His Word to us and His wisdom for us. And we're going to, be, we're going to retell His stories, and we're going to revisit His commands, and we're going to do it continually, reflecting on the truth. Figuring out together, you know, what the stories and what the commands of God mean for us, practically speaking, as as individuals and as couples and as families, as friends, as a believing community, as the church. In the Old Testament, the psalmist writes this. We just sang these words a few minutes ago. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and I will consider your mighty deeds. In a way, the writer was saying, not only do I need to know what God has done and what God says, I need to carefully consider and reflect on and pray about what it all means to my everyday life and relationships. Now, you may not realize this, but in Scripture, the idea of of reflection, sometimes we we use the word meditation, Uh, they they really mean the same thing, but the idea of, of meditation in Scripture represents two spiritual disciplines in one. It's the combination of study and prayer. 
Now, for many of us, if we do read and study Scripture, we, we do it, and then we kind of close the Scriptures and we move on to a list of things we want to pray for, pray about. And so prayer um, gets kind of detached from the truth we just studied. But the biblical idea of, of reflection includes praying the truth that you just studied, praying it deep into your soul until it catches fire. And by catches by catching fire, I mean until it makes all sorts of personal connections with you, with you, in such a way that it, it begins to shape your thinking and it moves your emotions and it changes your actions. Reflection is studying God's Word, considering its application, and praying through truth personally. The closest, the closest analogy I can, uh, I can think of uh, is the way a person reads a love letter. You know, when my wife and I were dating, we, we, she was in Boston at school, Boston University. I was in New Jersey, and we would write each other letters uh, and send cards. And uh, one, time, one time she sent me a card, had a little mouse on the front, and he was dressed like a man, and he had a hat on, all kinds of stuff. And the mouse had an olive. And uh, so I opened, it didn't say anything, opened it up on the inside, it said, olive you. Okay? I didn't get it. See, this is a true story. This is absolutely true. I'm like, what? So I took it to my friends at school when I was at college. I took my friends and said, why is this girl, you know, sending me a car with a rat holding an olive? And they looked at and said, olive, they said, You're, you knucklehead. She's saying she loves you. I'm like, what? All of you, I love you. I'm like, oh, oh, well, that's a good thing. That's good. So, but, you know, that's not how most people deal with love letters or, or love cards, right? What, what happens when you get a love letter? You, well, you rip it open and you begin to weigh every single word. Yeah. And you don't say, yeah, I knew that. Instead, you, you begin to ask, what does he or she mean by this? Or what do they mean by that? And you don't just read it for information, but you pour over it because you want to know what lies deep within the clauses and the phrases. Most importantly, you want to know the person who wrote it. You want their words to sink in and to form you, to form your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and your response. And I think it's this, this idea of reflection as it relates to Scripture that Paul had in mind. When he wrote to Christians in the church, he says, Brothers and sisters, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So my question is, how are you doing with this whole reflection thing? Study, application, prayer. How are you doing with all that? Last February, we conducted what we called a spiritual life survey across the church. Uh, we had uh, 500 or so people participate in it. And one of the things that we found through that survey is that 14% of you who took the survey said you feel, you feel stalled in your spiritual life. You know, you feel kind of stuck. You feel dry spiritually uh, speaking. And when you were asked why, you identified the problem as a lack of spiritual discipline. No, very little Bible study, prayer, or involvement in small groups or anything like that. And when you were asked what was keeping you from those things, either you said you were letting other activities take precedent, or there was a lack of accountability, no one was holding you to it, or there was conf- you had conflicting responsibilities. What those responses seem to indicate to me 
is that busyness is a huge challenge uh, for us here in the burbs, i.e. choosing activities other than spiritually oriented ones is an obstacle to personal spiritual growth and vitality. In, uh, in the busyness of the everyday, we forget God. Or we just put him on the back burner. And then we dry up. Let me tell you something. One hour on Sunday morning, if, if one hour on Sunday morning is the only time you're reflecting on Scripture and praying and, and revisiting commands and retelling stories, that's a problem. It's a problem. That's only one hour out of 168 hours a week. It's not enough to maintain a healthy, spiritually vital life. It's just not. In addition to the Sunday morning experience, we all need other times, other places, smaller communities to practice the spiritual discipline of scriptural reflection and prayer. And so this year, our staff and our leaders are committed to helping establish and helping you find those places and those people with whom you can meet more regularly with outside of Sunday morning to study and to pray and to talk and and, and to hold each other accountable. In short, to revitalize and keep your life, spiritual life, uh, vital. And to, to, to push you and, and to, to spur you on to spiritual growth. And I, and I say regularly because I think one final aspect of the whole art of remembering God is, is doing things over and over again. It's, it's repeating the truth. Repeating it to ourselves, repeating it to one another, going over God's word in private devotion, going over it again with another person or in a small group of people and interaction, interacting on it. Repetition is a key element in learning. And that's, that's not a new discovery. Even the writers of scripture recognize that. You know, a number of years ago, uh, we sang a song one Sunday uh, in which the phrase, his love endures forever is repeated a few times. And we, we sing that song still sometimes. And uh, we sang it one morning, and a person came up to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm new here. And I said, Well, welcome. And I'm new here, but I just, I just, something I just wanted to say. And I said, Yeah, what is it? I don't think your song choices are too good. And I'm, I'm like, Really? Yeah. Well, why, why would, you know, why, why do you think that? Well, they're too simplistic and too repetitive. And I said, oh, you mean, like the, you mean like the song we just sang a little earlier in the service? Yes. You mean like the one that repeats the phrase, his love endures forever? Yeah, that one. I said, oh, well, I got to tell you, I disagree with you about it, be, it, it being too simplistic and repetitive because it comes directly out of Psalm 136, in which the author repeats that very phrase, his love endures forever, 26 times in 26 verses. So if it's good enough for the psalmist, it's good enough for us. But the point being... Even the psalmist understood that repetition helps cement truth into our minds. And so I think repetition is good. I think, yeah, I think memorizing scripture is a good thing. And that happens, you know, sometimes when, we just, when we're reading it and studying it with others and we're pouring over it, it be, we begin to memorize it, and that's a really good thing. The psalmist writes, Blessed are those who walk according to the law of the Lord, who keep his statutes and who seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your, heart, or hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that idea of hiding God's word in my heart is the idea of knowing, repeating, 
And I mean, literally memorizing God's truth so that when we're faced with difficulties or pain in life or faced with, with choosing between right and wrong or something that's healthy or unhealthy, God's word comes to mind and informs our thoughts, our feelings, and hopefully our decisions. Dallas Willard is professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. He's viewed as an expert on spiritual growth and maturity and, 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 and formation. And he, he, he says this, he says, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I'd choose Bible memorization because it's a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's where you need it. How does it get in your mouth? Memorization. Now, I think if we're honest, for most of us, we'll admit that the thought of memorizing Scripture is intimidating. I mean, it is for me. And if you're like me, you're going to say, well, I can't do that. I'm not a good memorizer, you know. But here's the thing. No one's suggesting you run out and memorize the book of Leviticus. <laughs> okay? Uh, no one's saying you've got to go out and, and memorize big chunks of text, big chunks of Scripture. I think it's more than appropriate to start small. Here's a scripture verse to work on. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. You say, that's not going to be very helpful. Sure it will be. How can it be helpful? Why did he weep? He wept because his friend Lazarus had died. And Jesus was grieving the loss of a friend. But even beyond that, Jesus was grieving the reality of what sin has done to our world. It brings death and it brings pain and it brings brokenness. And he was weeping over that. Here's another verse. John three thirty. He must become greater. I must become less. Spoken by John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who Jesus said was the greatest man ever born among women, Jesus said about him. But John said, you know, I'm not that great. Jesus needs to be first in my life. It was a statement of utter humility. It's a good thing for us to remember. Uh, I, I, that's one of the first verses I ever, I ever memorized. He must become greater. I must become less. And um, there are a lot of other verses that are easy to, to memorize, but it's just about repetition. And we don't, you know, we don't memorize so we can win Bible jeopardy. You know, we don't, we don't do it so we can spew out verses at people who we either want to impress, proselytize, or correct. We don't memorize Scripture as a way of, to gain favor with God. Really, we memorize Scripture for, in some ways, selfish reasons. We do it for ourselves for our own personal relationship with God that we might know him more intimately and, and gain his wisdom and, on, on how to understand and deal safely with the complexities of life. Trust me on this. In an age and culture where many of us have scripture apps on our iPhones and Bible programs on our computers, the reality is this. That iPhone won't buzz in your pocket when your life is falling apart. And your laptop won't spontaneously open to specific words of Jesus that you may need to hear at, every, at any given moment or in any particular situation. But if you consistently study and repeat God's word and hide his word in your heart and in your mind, when you need it, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. No powering up, no longing on necessary. Now, one of the things that has really stuck with me after reading Joshua 4's book is that the brain is like a muscle, he said. You know, like a muscle that needs to be exercised. So here's the deal. Moonwalking with God is a study series all about the art of remembering who God is and what he's done for us. 
And so over the next several weeks of the summer, we're going to repeat, we're going to revisit, we're going to retell, we're going to reflect on some Old Testament texts and Old Testament stories that are just way too good, way too important, way too meaningful, way too relevant and practical for us not to know or remember. Because in terms of everyday practicality, the way I see it is, if I lose my car keys, I can live without them. But if I forget my God, my life is lost. King David felt the same way, which is, which is why he wrote this song and said this in Psalm 103. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, and forget not all his benefits. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful, uh, I, I, I think, uh, to live in an age of technology that in so many ways um, makes life easier, at least that's what the intention is, and yet in other ways it complicates life, and um, in some ways it, it lessens uh, our own humanness. Uh, the example of losing the ability or lessening the ability to remember things because we depend on technology. And while those things are good and while they're helpful, um, re- remembering you is not about laptops and it's not about, yeah, it's not about iPhones. Uh, it's about who you are, what you've done for us. It's about re- 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 repeating your stories or retelling them and understanding your word and pouring over it and, and hiding it in our hearts and, and knowing that you love us and, and, and all of these things. And I, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us as your people, uh, as, you've, as you've called your people from, from long ago, to remember, to remember, to remember you, your goodness, your grace, your love, your rescue. That we might not forget your benefits to us. And so, Lord, we remember you this morning and we cry out to you, our God, in love and worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.